0: Johnny SD. Hey guys, it's Johnny and welcome to episode 114 of the Travel Like Boss Podcast. I'm
1: here with my buddy, Nick Danforth. How's it going, man? Yeah, good. So, how did I meet you, Nick? That's a great question. I, I think we met here in Chiang Mai at the beginning of the year, but I don't remember how. I think, actually, no, I'd seen that you put a blog post up about Austin. And since I lived in Austin for five years, I just reached out and asked if you wanted to hang out and we could talk about Austin and digital nomad life and...
0: Yeah, and we met at a salad buffet with Sean Lee for That's our first That's right, time. yeah. Okay. And then, like, a few weeks later, we hung out in Koh right? Yep. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, here and we now are. we're back here in Chiang Mai. I like it. So, I always just thought Nick was just, like, a normal, you know, very nice, cool guy. And I am a normal, very nice, cool guy. But I realized <laughs> <laughs> he's more than that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, so, uh, what I wanted to talk to you about today was more about just kind of, like, lifestyle and uh, the kind of origins of the... Dist- nomad movement in Chiang Mai. Yeah, totally, man. But I didn't realize for a long time that you actually have a very successful business. Mm-hmm. Can, can you talk Recently about
1: that? successful, at least. <laughs> um, so I've got a company. We're basically a boutique research and consulting firm. Um, there's a lot of people that do sort of what we do, but we do it in a niche. So we help our clients refine their marketing strategies, understand their target market better, do research in their market. And that market is the music industry. So we work with companies that make guitars and amps and speakers and staging anything having to do in the music industry we work with them and we don't actually deploy their marketing or do the grunt work if you will for them but we we talk to them and we help them better understand the market so they can make more educated decisions about how to invest their dollars and their time
0: so this 10 (laughs) 20 years ago would have been like some new york based marketing firm Mm -hmm. right
1: probably um it would, it would, at the very least, have to have an office, and there would be a lot that goes into you know, the structure of the business, a lot of overhead. Um, but now, we're able to run it as a fully distributed company. There's a few of us, um, mostly in the States, but we also have a few in the Philippines that help us with research, and then I'm obviously out here in Thailand traveling and, and working from abroad, so it's a very lean operation. Okay, and, and you're the owner of the company? I am the COO. Okay. That would be my official title. All right. It's, yeah. So who, like, who else is like partners or owners? Just- so I... Let's see. Partners and owners. So I've got... We just did a big old company restructuring. So I have to think about it. Sorry for the hangout. But so now actually my dad has taken over the executive position. He's the CEO because he has more executive experience than me. I have more operational and management experience. and I'm a lot better at running a company. So I've transitioned into a role where I'm operating and he stepped in to actually make executive decisions. That's funny. because It's really the, cool.
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny because the last time we spoke when you were in Colanta, the roles were kind of reversed where you were technically his boss. <laughs> sort
1: of. Yeah. Yeah. And it's still like, it's, it's weird working with family. I got to be honest. Like we're still figuring it out, but, um, as the COO now, I'm still making a lot of major decisions um, just because business is operations based by default. Um, so I'm I'm really good at actually making those hard calls, I think, and I'm good at uh, making decisions that other people might n- miss because they're either too big picture or too small picture. I sort of sit right in the middle. So okay. it's actually working really well um, with me running it and him sort of steering okay. the ship. And was he always involved from day one? Um, So, we did separate things from the start. So, he's always been involved in the music space. He actually has a music education degree in college, and he uh, has gathered data about the music market. Um, I've been doing business consulting and strategy, and we sort of merged ventures, and now we have a business that's doing research and strategy and consulting specifically in that space. Okay.
0: So, just to have kind of an idea of how big this company is, like how much, what's your revenue?
1: We are doing about a million dollars a year right now. So this is like a proper legit It's a proper business. We're incorporated as an S-Corp. Like, we've got all the legal structure, which is something that a lot of digital nomads honestly don't have to think about. They're solopreneurs. They're launching, like, online... um, Online... What's the word I'm looking for? Online assets, online products. um, Very lean, which is something that I'm also really passionate about. Um, But this is an actual established corporation...
0: But when most people meet you or, like, the people that we hang out with, so the people kind of standing next to you at a co-working space, just yeah. sitting next to you at the coffee shop, most of them are doing much smaller businesses. You know, they might be doing, you know, $100,000 in sales a year maximum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say most people are actually just doing more, like, freelancing and, you know, they'd be very happy making, like, twenty five grand a year. Now. Yeah.
1: And obviously, not all of that goes straight into my pocket. There's other people that have to get paid. So we've got payroll, benefits our regular bills and expenses, our team in the Philippines, and then also like putting money into the company. But it's nice to have something that is turning over recurring revenue. Um, It's great for security and stability.
0: And so when did you start being location independent?
1: Uh, Fully location independent about four years ago. Um, I traveled a lot on and off before then. And it sort of just progressed where I would take like, A weekend trip, which then turned into a week trip, which then turned into a three-week trip, and then a two-month trip, and Steph, my wife, and I finally decided, you know what, we should just stop paying for our apartment back home and just live on the road full-time, so that was four years ago.
0: That's crazy, and so uh, Steph is actually going to be giving a talk at the Nomad Coffee Club this weekend, which is our weekly gathering of digital nomads in Chiang Mai. Every week, I have a different uh, speaker. And the only reason why we had Steph speak this week instead of uh, Nick is because Steph is... what The the work she's doing is a lot more attainable for yeah, people starting
1: definitely. out. Yeah, I'm, definitely. I'm working in more of an executive position with a company that's more established. Not a lot of nomads, I think, are interested in starting that or moving towards that. A lot of people are just trying to figure out, how can I make my first... online how can I make my first thousand dollars online how can I make enough to be location independent and she's working as a Freelancer and that's I think a lot more relevant to the people out here in Chiang Mai
0: Yeah, especially because she's doing well as a freelancer,
1: right? Yeah, she's doing really well So actually a year ago Steph really didn't have any experience not just as a freelancer but with web design or design of any kind and she's managed to Build a business on Upwork, which a lot of people said couldn't be done. Like, you can't make money on Upwork. And now she's making money on Fiverr, which a lot of people also think, like, you can't make good money on Fiverr. Uh, she's doing really well and she's really proving that anybody can step into freelancing in various fields and make a good living for themselves.
0: And, like, by giving living, like, how much is she making per month, approximately?
1: It varies depending on what project she's focusing on. At lowest, 1,000, at most, you know, five or six. So so on average,
0: $3,000. Yeah, why don't we
1: say an average of $3,000 a month coming in just from design-based freelancing. Um, another myth is that you can't make good money as a designer. You have to be a developer. You have to have a lot of technical know-how. And somehow she's doing it. She's amazing.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of it is just, you know, actually putting in the work, kind of not listening to the, all the naysayers and say, you know what, if I'm if I putting out a product that, it, that people want, if I think yeah. a little bit outside the box, then I will... Why wouldn't I get paid what I'm worth
1: that's totally it I think like any kind of business whether you're coming at it like me from an executive position or you're a freelancer um, being creative and innovative and putting in work is just it's so important Because everybody will tell you, like, oh, you can't make money doing this. This is not a viable business. There's money in everything. I think the more you're involved in business, whether it's for yourself or with a company, you realize that you can pretty much make money doing anything. You just have to figure out the right angle to attack it and then put in the time. And that's what she's done, and she's doing really well. I like it. So both of you guys are actually pretty young, right? How do you? Yeah, I'm 24, and Steph is 23.
0: Wow, that's crazy.
1: Yeah. And you guys are married I know, and you're running right? a million dollar really company. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's,
0: it's like you're, you're like a whole new breed of digital nomad.
1: Yeah. Aren't we all a new breed though? This whole digital nomad thing is pretty fresh. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we just kind We're of still l- figuring it out. I think <laughs> yeah, like what that demographic looks like of digital yeah, nomads. Yeah. If anything, I mean, just
0: because most digital nomads are single, uh, most of them are young and they're not executives They're you know, they're not running big companies you know, we kind of assume that that's just what a digital nomad is, but you're not really any less of a digital nomad than someone who's single uh, and, you know, doing like a smaller company.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's so many aspects to this community, even though it's new and it's relatively small, like there's so many different corners and niches and sides of the digital nomad movement. It's really interesting to see how people slot into that.
0: What was like your first exposure of the, the nomad?
1: I read 4-Hour Work Week the week it came out, so I remember seeing it hit the New York Times bestseller list, and I was looking for a new book, and I thought, that looks cool. I read that. That really influenced me, and then shortly after, I think within six months after that, I started discovering blogs of people like uh, Dan Andrews and Cody McKibben. Like These are sort of the pioneers, in my mind, of the digital nomad movement, and they were you know, writing about like moving to Thailand and running a business online. That was my first exposure and I was in high school at the time.
0: You know, I still need to get those guys on my podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I met you know, I have met both of them. Uh Cody's was actually helped me host the two thousand sixteen Nomad Summit. So, you know, we hung out pretty much every day. Uh, if you wanna see his talk, it's live at nomadsummit.com. Actually all the videos are up, uh, so you guys can all check it out. And I just never had I just never had time to have him on my podcast. It's it's almost
1: weird. Yeah, you totally should. They're both like Legendary guys. Yeah. And, and so incredibly helpful and wise too about like the realities of long-term travel and working from the road. They just have so much to offer.
0: What's funny about Dan Andrews is when I first kind of got into this, there wasn't that much information out there. He was one of the pioneers. Yeah. So he had the lifestyle business podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember listening to it as like my only source of information and thinking, man, this is this is amazing. This is it. Uh, and I met a guy at a at a meetup here named Ben Kruger that was like the podcast editor of Dan Andrews. Oh, nice. And I was so excited to meet someone who knew him. Yeah, that yeah. I like, you know, started telling all my friends that I met the, you know, the guy. And yeah, the first time I met Dan was in in Vietnam, you know, very briefly. And like, in my mind, I was like, man, this guy's like the superhuman, like yeah, another yeah, level of yeah. celebrity. And it's so weird that, you know, like people now come up to me sometimes thinking the same thing because when they were back home in the U S or something, I was, you know, their only voice and the only kind of, um, the only intro into this community.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like there's honestly not as many people really like regularly and publicly talking about the digital nomad movements. And I think there should be like, there's a lot of people out here, um, that, don't really talk about it much beyond their personal Facebook. And I'm not saying everybody needs to be an advocate, but like I totally remember sitting back home and reading those guys and it was so inspiring and so uplifting for me uh, to, to just realize that this was something that I could achieve and start working towards. And I think then the movement and people overall would be served well if more people got a little bit more public about, about what they were doing and how they were growing their business on the road.
0: Yeah. I think the most, the problem is most people are either not successful yet with their business. So they're working on that. Yep. Or they are successful and they're too busy working on that.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I, But I do believe that 100% the Nomad movement is going to get huge. Yeah, I think the only downside of it is kind of like the travel blogger industry. It has become this thing where people aren't re- – I guess in the beginning, a travel blogger was more for someone to like give kind of these inside tips. Uh, and they yeah, wanted yeah. to kind of document the journey. And then uh, after they did it for a while, they happened to monetize it. Now, I think a lot of people are starting out as a travel blogger. So they make zero money, but they, you know, have to travel because they have to write these articles. Yeah, and it's this yeah. it's just like,
1: weird thing. And then they sort of transition into nomadism. A lot of them, they start figuring out, like, I'm going to run out of money. I need to put some extra cash in the bank account. And then some of them sort of transition into the nomad movement. I've seen that a lot.
0: Yeah, because it's, it's an okay way to get, you know, free hotel rooms or, you know, for reviews and trips and things like that. But most travel bloggers don't make any money.
1: Oh yeah, and they spend a lot of time. Yeah, it's crazy, and it's it's exhausting traveling that much. I mean, travel is enjoyable. Don't get me wrong, but like moving around so much and always staying in a new place and packing, and unpacking, it's tiring. Yeah. The, so the only travel blogger I've had on the show is Sabrina Uvio, I believe,
0: and she makes over three grand a month from it. So she, you know, so her example is great. But if you guys listen to that episode, I'll, I'll pull. It, uh, I'll link in the show notes where you can just look for uh, Sabrina uvo on travel like a boss podcast and she does it correctly kind of she thinks of it more of like a business where she makes these mega posts twice a month only okay and she has like a normal life she like she does coaching she does like um
1: what is she doing on the blog is she making money off like affiliate revenue yeah, and stuff like exactly. that? Is that most M- of it
0: most of it is through agoda which is a um, hotel booking service which is who i use anyways yeah. so you know I, I, I think it's great that she does that yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, but she's like one of the very few, like literally the other 99 travel blogs I've met have not made money at
1: all. Yeah, they really don't. They get free stuff and that's about it.
0: I think a lot of it is, is, is it's a business
1: model that isn't that um, that straightforward. It's No, it's not. And the product is something that while it's interesting, um, people aren't really going to pay for or maybe they'll they'll pay for it like once when they take a big trip. You know, that's when they're going to come to the site. That's when they're going to be looking for resources. But it's not the kind of thing where the content a travel blogger puts out is continuously relevant to the same audience, you know, over and over and over and over.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. People aren't really following her journey. Whereas
1: with the nomads, like there's people wanting to leave, wanting to build a business. All the content that a, a nomad blogger or vlogger or podcast host puts out has the potential to be extremely relevant to the same person for a year or two even three years straight because they're always trying to figure out how to optimize their life how to grow their business it's not just oh i'm taking a trip and i need some some tips i'll go to this website one time
0: that definitely makes sense and i think that like when people find nomad blogs at different stages or different points that is even more relevant because for example the reason why i actually stopped listening to the LBP, the lifestyle business podcast, mm-hmm. or it, it, then it cha- when it changed to, um, what was it? Tropic MBA. Tropical MBA, yeah. When it changed over, it was, it was honestly, it was too high level for me at the time.
1: Yeah. You know, they were talking about, you know, like managing a team. Yeah, and like, growing and selling companies, mm-hmm. like physical products, stuff like that. And
0: I and I didn't have, I wasn't at that level yet. So it I liked listening to it because they would once in a while talk about, you know, traveling or to, being a digital man, but mostly they're they businessmen. And they're very high level and I just couldn't, I couldn't catch up, you know, it just wasn't for me. And I think when I started the travel like a boss podcast and the reason why a lot of people still go and listen to episode one and start from there is because I started documenting like when I first made my first couple hundred bucks.
1: Yeah, I think more people need to do that. Honestly, um, that's, I think what I, what I was feeling when I talked about how more people should be public about their journey, um, Somebody, I don't know who, but somebody said that, like, the best time to start teaching is when you're just one step ahead. Um, And I think there's a lot of people starting out who would benefit from just being able to share the journey with somebody who's maybe not profitable yet. Maybe they're still, like, spending money from their savings, but they're being honest and open about their journey. Uh, We need more people doing that, I think.
0: Yeah, and it might take a while for people to really start, you know, following, catching up. But I, I think it's one of those things where, like, when they start seeing, you know, you be successful... Mm-hmm. Then they're like, man, this guy was only a few months ahead of me. Like, why can't I, you know, there's no reason why I can't catch yeah, up. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, we've been doing something sort of similar, Steph and I, on our YouTube channel. I just realized that this is turning into a plug. But uh-huh. <laughs> um, we basically just document our life. It's sort of like a daily vlog though we usually end up doing four to five days a week. We've been doing it for a couple of years now. And we just film sort of what we do on the road as digital nomads. Just very real. We haven't uh, been very open about our income not because we've been afraid to just it hasn't been part of our voice but a lot of people have subscribed and really really enjoyed it because they see that what we do on a day-to-day basis is actually pretty normal you know we sort of wake up we work out we eat breakfast we go to a coffee shop or a co-working space and work and then get dinner with some friends and go to bed we're not always like going on crazy adventures or like sitting on the beach in a hammock. And I think people really like just having a look into the real normal life, good days and bad days of digital nomads. And um, I think more blogs or vlogs or or podcasts sort of in that space uh, would be really welcome. Yeah, nice. Uh,
0: What what was your vlog again?
1: So you can find it at youtube.com slash Nick Danforth.
0: Okay. And I'll have a link to it too at 114. But yeah, I, I've seen some of the, your vlogs. I was actually in one of them. Yeah, when we were in Colanta,
1: and I actually just edited one today. I think from our salad concept trip yesterday, <laughs> so <laughs> nice. that'll go up tomorrow.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great audience because you know people can kind of see okay, what is
1: the the daily life like that aside from the the highlights, right? Yeah, and it's not it's not a business for us. We don't make much money from it. It's really just a way to help people who are thinking about becoming digital nomads or just starting to become digital nomads, just to show them. Like, what it looks like. When you've been on the road for four years, what does your day look like? And I think a lot of people are surprised to see, oh, it doesn't look that crazy or that different.
0: So, what I like about you and Steph is that you two are, like, some of the most normal people
1: <laughs> I've ever met.
0: Like, just, like, nice people. Thanks, man. Yeah, thank you, man. And, like, it's, it's, it's so rare
1: nowadays to, to meet people like that.
0: I don't know what it is. Yeah. yeah.
1: I, I don't know. I think people... Especially in the nomad movement, people can sort of get a little individualistic. I'm not talking about anybody specific here. I think it's actually just a natural byproduct uh, for a lot of people because they're coming out here trying to build a business from scratch. They don't really have time or mental energy to do anything except think about number one and and try and get some money coming in. Uh, I think, though, like once you've got some consistent income, once you're feeling comfortable and secure, like it, it's really good to get outside of thinking about your own business and building your own life and like just be nice to people, reach out, help other people. Um, maybe that's, maybe that's where we're at. I'm not sure. sure.
0: So can you tell me a little background? Like where were you born? Uh, would you grow up? Would you
1: make meet uh staff when did you get, when did you get married? Yeah. Um, so I was born in Chicago, USA when I was really young, like three or four years old. My family moved to Colorado. I spent my whole childhood there right at the foot of the Rocky mountains. Um, That's where I met Steph. We met in high school. She was 15. I was 16. We started dating shortly after we met. Uh, And that was a great time of life. We would just like go hiking in the mountains and enjoy all the beautiful Colorado wilderness. When I was 18, though, I decided to move to Austin, Texas, up-and-coming city. Steph was still finishing high school, though. I had uh, dropped out, actually. And I wasn't planning on going to college. I was like, well, I'm going to move to Austin. I had some friends down there. I wanted to go hang out with them. So we dated long distance for 11 months while she was finishing up high school in Colorado. And then once she finished up, uh, she moved down to Austin to be with me. We got married, I think a year, year and a half later, we sort of realized, okay, we've already like moved across the country for each other. Maybe we should just seal the deal. Um, so we got married, uh, and immediately pretty much we started traveling, not as nomads, but taking long extended trips. And then we actually moved into a camper van. We drove around the U S for a year, just like seeing national parks and, and hanging out. And then once we got rid of the camper van, we became full-time international nomads, if you will. And we hopped on a plane and haven't looked back.
0: And I love this. It's a pretty good story. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Very unconventional as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think part of that, though, is because the nomad movement was a lot smaller when we started being digital nomads. Sort of the same for you, I think. There wasn't, like, this well-defined path of, like, oh, go to Chiang Mai or go to Berlin uh, and work from a co-working space. Co-working spaces didn't really even exist um, when we started. So we were just realizing that we could make money and continue to travel by doing different things online. So we sort of forged our own path.
0: So job-wise, like, what was that, that timeline?
1: What was the timeline on that? We've done so many different things. I mean, in there, Steph ran a jewelry business when we were in the in the van. Um, she like made wire jewelry and sold it on Etsy and I did business consulting and I helped people outsource. <laughs> I helped people actually learn how to hire workers on Odesk, uh, which is now upwork. I connected uh, connected them with Filipinos, and I took a cut of that. And then I, I'm also a musician by trade originally, and so I would pick up music gigs either in the studio or with different bands. We really cobbled it together in just a variety of ways at first and then really started getting serious about business about three years ago.
0: So when you dropped out of high school, did you have some kind of business going on?
1: When I dropped out of high school, I was making a little bit of money doing like the outsourcing and, and a little bit of business consulting. I obviously didn't have much to prove myself by, but I just told people, look, if it doesn't work, don't pay me. Uh, but I wasn't really making a full-time income, so I dropped out of high school at age 17, and I was bringing in less than $1,000 a month. I was still living with my parents at the time, but then I decided to move to Austin, so it sort of got really real, and I had to figure out how I was going to make it work. So that's crazy. If you were 17, jumped out of high school, decided to move to Austin with no real yeah, business. Yeah, not smart. <laughs> but I'm sure you are. If you're I mean, 17 ugh. and listening to this, don't drop out of high school and move to Austin. Or do it because now or you sure can be, it, yeah.
0: you know, this traveling executive. It's <laughs> it's crazy. I I I always tell people kind of uh man, this is how I know I'm old. Is I'll tell people advice and and say like, "Hey, you know, you should probably stay home, pay off your debts." Um, You know start working in your business Mm -hmm. get at least a thousand dollars in online income before you come to Thailand Yeah, and then people were like, but Johnny I've read your book you (laughs) You didn't do that you just came and I'm like, well, yeah, but that wasn't the smartest move, but they're like obviously it worked
1: Yeah, I think it depends on your personality how bad you want it like what you really want in life and I Don't think everybody knows exactly what they want or exactly their temperament when they start this journey But like if you work hard and really like put yourself to it, I think you will be successful. Um, But how bad you want it is definitely, um, definitely part of it and how bad you need it too. So you're, when you got to Austin, what business did you get into? So I continued doing the outsourcing and business consulting. And that's when I started learning how to do sales analysis, um, which is now a core tenant of the company right now. And what I would do is I would take company sales data and I would analyze it and help them find patterns. And so I did that freelance before segwaying into the music industry. Okay. And how would you find those clients? I started on... I was about to say Upwork. I started on Odesk. It was still around. And then I did some word of mouth. And that was it. It was straight reaching out, cold calling sometimes, applying on Odesk, hustle. There's nothing glamorous or... Easy or magical about it? It was literally just going out and making it happen. Just hustle. I, like I was it. also I was also living with roommates too, and I was cooking at home a lot, so I didn't need a ton of money. Austin hadn't exploded yet, like it, so it wasn't a really expensive city like it is now. I didn't drive a car; I rode a bike, so my overhead was pretty low. But I did need to make at least like fifteen hundred dollars huh. a month to sort of be stable. <laughs> okay,
0: but you know, I like that. Uh, for yeah. anyone that doesn't know, Odesk is now Upwork.
1: Yeah odesk and elance were like the two i guess like freelancing job boards and they merge now into one mega beast yeah and i can
0: vouch that from a a, a i guess employer uh point of view do you know what what happens is we go on we find someone if they suck we're like okay we'll find someone else if they suck we're like okay upwork sucks we're not gonna use this anymore yeah but if we find someone good we basically just keep them and we take them off of of uh off of Upwork. yeah so it's one of those things that a lot of it's timing a lot of it's luck but it's you have you know, it works, you have to hustle. I mean, it's it's a lot of work,
1: man. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um I think there's very few people in business who have been successful who have just gotten lucky or just stumbled into something and suddenly are making money. Like there's always grind behind it. Um and you have to be smart too. You have to be smart, you have to apply yourselves in the right way and sort of 80-20 20. Uh, what you do, if if any of you know the eighty twenty principle that Tim Ferriss talks about in the four hour work week, but yeah, it's it's a lot of work.
0: But well, here, here's what drives me crazy is for the longest time I would hear people say like, oh, you can't make money on on Upwork, you can't make money on you know freelancing, and they will give valid reasons, right? Yeah. They would they will give excuses like yeah, the computer gets people
1: from India or people from the Philippines, I get paid a lot less, mm-hmm. and then Upwork takes a cut out of that, mm-hmm. and so you're you're missing out on that income,
0: and then you know all these other things, and I think to a lot of people, they just listen
1: to it. They're like, okay, yeah, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. I, it's not that you can't make money on Upwork. It's that you sort of have to apply yourself a little bit more if you want to. Yeah, you do have to outbid people who are working for 3 or $4 an hour, um, but that's a great excuse to get better at writing copy and selling yourself and identifying clients that are a good fit for you. Um, it's definitely possible to make money. Uh, like we said earlier, there's... There's money to be had everywhere, and you can really make anything profitable. You just have to figure out the angle that you need to take with it and then go after it.
0: I love that in Chiang Mai, it has grown from being you know, a bunch of people just starting out to a lot of people that are making six figures now.
1: Yeah, it's really cool to see how fast that's happened, too, because I don't think Chiang Mai has really been a nomad hub, if you will, for that long. I mean, I didn't start hearing about Chiang Mai as a nomad hub until, I don't know, maybe three years ago. Or So you you probably have a better gauge because you've been here for a lot longer um, consistently, but it it hasn't been like on the map for digital nomads for a very long time. There was no map
0: for digital nomads. (laughs) There wasn't, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I remember whatever pun space first opened, which I think was 2013. Okay. That's when Chiang Mai became a hub because there used to be people, uh, a lot of it, you know, were members of Dan and Andrew's community, the, yeah. the D.C. D.C.ers kind of, and travel bloggers, yeah, basically. People would just travel through and then they would meet at a coffee shop or uh, work at someone's house. And it wasn't until uh, Pun Space, you know, kind of was like this, the the place that you can go to, even if you didn't know anyone, even if you weren't a, a member of, you know, one of these paid communities like the D.C. Yeah. and guys like me start talking about it a lot on, on my blog on the podcast
1: mm-hmm. and then uh, the nomad list um, yeah nomad list really took things to another level I yeah. mean, that's when it really opened up and started becoming a little more mainstream
0: yeah actually I want to have Peter on the the podcast he I met him uh, at at Space and a few years ago, I think three years ago, and mm-hmm. he had a YouTube channel where he was a uh, basically a DJ, like an EDM yeah, DJ. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he was doing really
1: well with that, too. He yeah. He had, like, a lot of subscribers. Well, I
0: mean, he's just a super smart guy, Yeah, he hustles hard, and uh, he works late. He works, like, from midnight to, like, 5 a.m. He's man. It's insane. Uh, but anyways, he, yeah, so I met him here. I didn't even know he was uh, building all the stuff, and I, I think at the time, he wasn't yet. He was building, like, some other...
1: Apps. Yeah, because he did like the 12 startups in 12 months thing. So he was probably working on one of those other startups that didn't really go anywhere.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, the Nomadless hit, and Chiang Mai has been consistently, you know, top three, if not number one, for best yeah. place, you know, in the world for two nomads. And that's what really opened the floodgates.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like all of a sudden, it seemed like the community just doubled tripled even quadrupled overnight like when people started getting on nomad list like steph and i were just talking last night about how when we started traveling and working like we would go to cities and we would not meet anybody else who was working online like the only people we hung out with would be like bar owners and hostel owners and locals that we met but it was such a crazy thing to meet somebody else who was making money online and now we can go to a place like chiang mai and if we wanted to we could literally go an entire month or two months and our only community and social circle would be other people who are digital nomads. It's absolutely crazy.
0: It's funny how many people out there still are surprised. Like if, like if we meet someone on, like, let's say, a tour or something yeah. and we tell them what we do, most people are still really shocked or they don't actually understand what we do.
1: Yeah, which um, I've, I've started explaining it to people like it's like I work from home. My home is just on the other side of the world. Because I think a lot of people now understand the idea of telecommuting. Like, oh, I go into the office three days a week and then I work from home the other two days a week. A lot of people are doing that. Um, the only difference here is home is on the other side of the world. Or it's in a different Or anywhere country. we want it to be, right? Anywhere, yeah. If you don't have a business where you have to think about time zones and immediate response to communication, you really can do it anywhere with Wi-Fi. It's just the same as working from home.
0: And if you do have a job... That that requires time zones or immediate response. This is a good excuse to figure out how to automate it or outsource yeah. it.
1: Yeah, or yeah, just get a virtual assistant and have them going through your email and responding to things. Even then, though, I know people who want this lifestyle so bad that they'll like come out to Thailand and then they'll work nights so that they can be on like a U.S. time zone or a European time zone. And like, I wouldn't want to do that long term, but I have a lot of respect for those people because they're they're working hard. They're not slacking off. They're making they're making it happen.
0: Yeah, I I met them too as well. I'm like I'll see people. You know that they'll they'll have to work from you know like let's say nine p.m. till three a.m. every single day, or work super early hours like five a.m. till till nine. You know, and it's like I I definitely want, don't want to do that. But thinking back, when I started my first dropshipping store, I was doing that because yeah. I
1: had to stay up late to call suppliers. Yeah, definitely. And you were probably your own customer support at the yep, start. Yeah, I was too. actually. And so you, <laughs> you'd have to take calls in the middle of the night from U.S. customers who had questions. Yeah. But that's just part of it. You you build a business and it, it sucks at times. And just when it gets about too hard to handle, you can automate, you can outsource, you can optimize, or you can even decide I actually don't like this. I'm going to do something else. It's all a big experiment. And then yeah. you figure it out somehow. And, you know, you get to a point where you can live the life that you want and you can have the schedule and the flexibility that you want. I like it. So tell me about your schedule and, and your, your life. My schedule and my life. Well, I am a morning person, so I tend to get up around six in the morning, usually with the sun and I will sit at home. I'll drink some water. I'll have a cup of coffee. Uh, I'll sometimes go outside, have a walk, uh, out in the sun, or I'll go have a workout at my condo gym, write my to-do list, figure out the most important things I need to take care of for the day. And then I'm usually starting work by about seven, seven 30 most mornings, either at the apartment or at a coworking space or at a coffee shop. It It really varies. Uh, And then I tend to work about nine to five. I I tend to work normal hours. I mean, I can take off for a day or two if I want. Uh, There's no problem there. But I like to keep a normal schedule. I think a lot of people get into digital nomadism with this idea of like, screw the nine to five, like I'm never doing that again. And then after doing it for a while, you realize, actually, my life is a lot better when I just keep to a work schedule and like go to the office quote. Um, And so that's what I do. I work Monday to Friday, and then I take the weekends off and either just chill with staff or go on an adventure somewhere. It's actually a lot like normal life. I just do it in different cities every month.
0: Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I, I'm actually very similar where I, I wake up, you know, 7.30 or 8 every day, go into the co-working space <laughs> and work no four. Yeah. And then I go to the gym, come home, watch TV or hang out, have dinner. And then weekends, exactly same as you is, you know, that's that's when I go on my adventures.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's not a bad thing to work on a schedule. It's not a bad thing to get up and go to work in the morning. Like I think when you're living a life where you have control and you're the one making that call, it's a lot more bearable. Like when you feel like you're out of control and somebody else is dictating your life for you, you sort of begrudgingly go to work and you begrudgingly go to the office. But when it's you working on projects that you're passionate about and building your life for yourself... Like, I don't find it hard at all to go to work in the morning. I love I it.
0: I enjoy going to work. Mondays I, I, are I, I'm awesome. Looking, yeah. I, like, I really look forward to it. And especially knowing that I can leave whenever I want.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So, for example, I mean, today it's, you know, it's, what, a Tuesday. Yeah. And we, I came home after lunch. So, um, actually, I left Pun Space at 11. Met, met, uh, met with a friend at a coffee shop. Went to have lunch and then came home. I worked from home for a bit because I wanted to to record something. And then now you're here hanging out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, what is it? It's like 3, 4 p.m. Yeah, and And you're done. We're done. Yeah, Yeah, we're good. (laughs) It's awesome.
0: And the other difference is if something comes up, a friend's visiting where we want to go somewhere, we just take a little vacation.
1: Yeah, it's no big deal.
0: And it's not like we have to plan ahead and and try to get a day off or something.
1: And being able to change locations is amazing too. So last Saturday, so like 10 days ago, um, Steph and I woke up and we were going about our day. We were about to go out and get some breakfast, some coffee, and we were literally walking out the door and we decided, you know what? It's really smoky here. It's really hot. There's going to be traffic outside. We're not really enjoying that. Let's go to the beach. And so we literally went online and we booked a plane ticket to Krabi to go down to Kolanta. And we were getting on a plane two hours later and we went down to Kolanta and hung out for a week and our daily schedules didn't change that much. We took the weekend that Saturday and Sunday and then we worked at CoHub, the co-working space down there. Monday through Friday, but just having the freedom to immediately change locations, go to a different place, go be on an island for a week. Um, The quality of life is just, it's so good, even if you are working nine to five. I like it. What's your travel plans this summer? So we are actually leaving Chiang Mai in a week and we're heading over to Europe for three months at least. We haven't been to Europe in a couple of years, so we're really excited. Asia is great, but it'll be nice to have a change of culture. Um, we are taking my parents on a trip in the south of France first, so we're going to be in France for a couple weeks, and then we're going to go over to Prague, which is one of our favorite cities, and then after that, we've got some open time, uh, not really sure what we're going to do, probably just bounce around and visit friends, and then we're going to be in Budapest all of July, and then it's really open-ended, we'll go wherever we feel like after that. I like it. Yeah, man. So
0: this summer is going to be the summer of the nomads in Europe. I
1: think seriously, like everybody I talk to, it seems is going over to Europe. They're like, "Oh yeah, I'm leaving in a week, or I'm leaving in a month." It's like a big migration. Everybody's leaving Asia and heading over. But what's to the crazy west is again.
0: so two years ago, I should, it was my first time ever going to Europe, uh, especially as a digital nomad, and it was such a big deal for me. It yeah. was like when I wrote "Life Changes Quick," that was like. The, the finale, like having enough money to be able to go to Europe. Yeah. And at the time, not that many other people uh, were going there because it's expensive, you know, yeah, definitely. And this kind of just shows that the nomad scene as a whole is getting, is getting more successful people who have money to actually live in, in more expensive places.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's really cool to see like where people end up when they have money. Um, because I think it's funny. You see actually a lot of people really successful who still choose to live in cheap places And it's not because we're cheapskates like I could go live in Europe or I could probably go back and live in the U.S. if I wanted to. But when you're not worried about money, just the quality of life becomes your number one priority. And so if that's Chiang Mai living on a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars a month or less, I mean, do it. And so it's really cool to see where people gravitate towards now that more people are making more money. Like, do people stay in Chiang Mai? Do they go to more expensive places? And I think it's about half-half. Some people do, but a lot of people realize, you know what? My life is just so much better here. Even if the cost is low, it's better. I, th- I think
0: a lot of people uh, that have a lot of money, they-, they will go to other places and they always come back to Chiang Mai.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Um but I think it's the community, it's the weather, the food, like the lack of friction. It's just so easy. Um, the lack of stress, the lack of stress, you can live a life here where you just worry about the things that are worth you worrying about or worth you thinking about. Like I don't have to think about laundry. If I don't want to cook, I don't have to think about cooking or cleaning or any of that. I can just work on my businesses. I can hang out with my wife and build our relationship. I can meet new people and help them out. Um, Just that flexibility and lack of friction is so incredible.
0: And it's also, there's no, uh, there's like no, like, there's no pressure of,
1: uh, materialism here either. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You sort of live in these small apartments or studio rooms even, and nobody really cares what you wear. Everybody's walking around in t-shirts and shorts and and flip flops. And
0: And you don't, you don't want a car because there's going to be too much traffic. Yeah.
1: And where would you park it? I mean, these roads are so (laughs) narrow. (laughs) So... Uh, so Nick has a bicycle that he carries around. With <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's a folding bike. If you guys have ever seen one, it folds up to like the size of a, a carry-on suitcase basically. And Steph has one too. We actually travel with them. So we might go do some cycling in Europe this summer. That could be fun. Uh, we are both
0: wearing the official Nomad uniform, yeah. which is shorts and a V-neck t-shirt.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's how you know that
0: we've made it. I wonder who invented that or if... How that became the, the the thing to wear. It's just like,
1: so easy. It's so comfortable.
0: But like why is it plain V neck t shirts and, and and like solid color shorts? Like
1: I actually don't know. Maybe we should shake it up, like get a new wardrobe, go like all patterns. I no. saw a guy in a watermelon jumpsuit the other day. Okay. Yeah, maybe I don't that could be a <laughs>
0: Maybe that could be it. I like it. But so uh this summer my go my, my plans I, I don't know how long I'm gonna stay in Chiang Mai. And it's kind of a it's a high quality problem, right? Like these are yeah, the things yeah, that this we worry is a big about. Big first
1: world problem.
0: <laughs> so, I think I'm going to stay in Chiang Mai for another month because I love it here. I like just chilling. Uh I enjoy I I like I'm going to stay here as, as long as I'm happy basically. So I have the yeah. option I can either stay another month or I can extend my visa for another 30 days and I should stay 2 months. Okay. Uh There's projects I want to work on here and you know all my tons of friends are still here, yeah. but I think at any moment, I get sick of Chiang Mai or everyone leaves and I just want to move on. Fly, biz class over to Europe. Yep. <laughs> Hang out for between one and three months, <laughs> depending on, <laughs> on how happy I am. Yep. Uh, and I think places I want to go, is I definitely want to go to
1: Berlin. Yeah, definitely. Uh, There's a ton of nomads in Berlin now.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great place. Uh, probably go to Budapest just because all the other nomads are there.
1: Yeah, it's, it looks like it's going to be a sweet scene. Like, I... I've visited Budapest before, Steph and I really enjoyed the city, but we were going like as travelers, as tourists, and so it's cool to see that there's now a nomad scene popped up there. I'm really excited to get there. You well, especially come by.
0: yeah. I mean, to be honest, Budapest wasn't my favorite city out of all the ones that, in Europe that I visited uh, as a tourist, mm-hmm. just because it has a really nice like Turkish baths. Yeah, really yeah, cool. the
1: baths I, are sweet.
0: I like that. It's a nice looking place, but it's more it's more one of those places where it's. To me, it's not like the it's not like Vienna, where like it's exceptionally beautiful.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's still got like you know a lot of communist architecture. Mm-hmm. The history, um, the sort of war torn history of the country is a lot more evident. Um, it also feels like more of a city where um, where locals have a really good quality of life, but maybe tourists don't. Like for example, just one thing I'm thinking about, like Prague, um, another one of our favorite cities. It's beautiful, absolutely gorgeous city, um, cobblestone streets. But then I think about, like, cobblestone streets, and that's not good for riding a bike or riding a scooter. (laughs) You you walk through Budapest, there's not really cobblestone streets. It's all, like, normal, like, pavement. Uh, So it's not as beautiful, but it's definitely more efficient for locals when they're biking to work or riding a scooter to work. Little things like that make me think that it's actually going to be a really cool city to settle into for, like, a month. I was actually
0: thinking something similar, not about the the streets itself, but I can see myself just living, like, a pretty good life in Budapest.
1: It's almost It kind of reminds me of the Chiang Mai of... Of Europe yeah definitely and like I'm, I'm hearing from people about all these cool cafes and bars and restaurants that I had no idea existed um, so it's gonna be a really fun month of exploring we're gonna be there the whole month of July yeah. so
0: it's a lot cheaper as well which I really yeah. like yeah uh, definitely. I did uh, two podcast episodes in in Europe last summer uh, I'll have a link to them but one so basically the, the four cities I went to was Budapest Vienna Prague and Berlin Awesome and all four are amazing. Uh, I would say Prague is the most beautiful as oh, a, yeah. for tourists. Absolutely, uh, it's one of those places. I don't really have a reason to go back unless I wanted to show the place to someone. Yeah, if I want to show how cool it is to my parents, or if I, you know, uh, if you're dating someone, you're like, I want to take you to these
1: castles. You know, yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. But there's not, there's not really a reason to be there. I think there's yeah. no scene. Yeah, um, we might have had a different experience because we went and we've actually already spent a couple months in Prague. And when we went, there wasn't really a nomad scene in general, uh, let alone in Prague. So we ended up meeting like business owners and stuff. So we sort of have like a local friend network there that like are doing their own like local businesses opening cafes and bars. So I think that's part of the appeal for us. Um, it is a gorgeous city to take someone, though, for sure.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, I want to go to Lisbon in Portugal.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Another nomad hotspot that's just popped up in the last two years is crazy. Just, like, out of nowhere, right? Yeah. Everyone starts talking about it, like, oh, yeah, one lives in. Yeah, same with, like, uh, Tarifa and the Canary Islands. Okay. Like, like now there's all these nomads there. It's so fascinating to see how quickly the movement is exploding. Uh, and I think the last one uh, in Europe that, that I really want to like, I haven't been there, but it's Sofia, Bulgaria. We actually have it on our list for... Um, for this summer as well. We met somebody actually in Bangkok a couple months ago, who's a nomad working from Sofia, And she said it was just absolutely beautiful and we needed to come check it out. And so we're trying to roughly plan an itinerary where we get over there at some point.
0: Okay. And I just looked it up and it's uh, episodes 44 and 45. Uh, it's a two part podcast. Episode 44 was Berlin versus Prague. And episode 45 was Vienna versus Budapest. So, Really excited uh, to kind of relive that because I met there two years ago for the summer and I wanted to go for two or three months. That was yeah. like the goal. I wanted to spend the whole summer there. But I was I had just started dating Larissa at the time. Okay. And she had an English teaching job that she couldn't get away from. So she stayed in Chiang Mai. I got gotcha. you. And I was like, okay, you know, like I already had this trip planned. going with my buddy Anton. Like I'm definitely going to go. And we had just—I think—I forgot how long we had started dating for, but we had—you know—it was like we, you know, we, we it was kind of like early in our in our relationship. And after three weeks, I was like, "Man, her birthday is coming up in a few days. Uh, I feel kind of bad." Like, <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, not a great boyfriend. Yeah, being halfway around the world by choice. <laughs> yeah,
0: so I was like, okay, you know what? We've seen four great cities. You know, I do want to go see more places. I would love to spend more time, but I was like, I, sh- I think I should just fly back to-, to Chiang Mai, surprise Larissa on her birthday, and then go back to, to Europe, um, you know, in the future. Yeah. And now that I'm single, I'm definitely going to spend the whole summer in
1: Europe. Yeah, I man. It'll be cool. Like, I'm really looking forward to settling in for a solid few months, like, and actually getting into it a bit, not just feeling like I'm visiting, because... Sort of like we were talking about earlier, one of the things I'm curious about is, okay, I've got a little bit more financial flexibility now. Like, where do I want to live? And, like, the only places I've really, like, lived, lived, um, at least in my mind, are the U.S. and and Asia. And I've visited Europe a ton and traveled through it, and I love I love it from a visiting perspective, but I want to see what it's like actually settling in for a few months and like, is this a culturally somewhere that I would want to live like longer term and set up a base? Well, that's my dilemma. So yeah.
0: <laughs> I think mid-June I'm going to go to Europe, one-way ticket, and I'm probably going to just, I don't know, bounce around here and there for the first couple of weeks. Yeah. And then I might find an apartment and stay for a month or two, or I might just... Travel for a few weeks and then say, okay, let me come back to Chiang Mai for a month and then go back to Europe again to meet my parents in September because they're going on a Mediterranean cruise. So they're, uh, I think they're flying into Amsterdam and flying out of, uh, of Italy. So I have to be, I basically, I have to be in Europe in September, but I don't know if I want to stay there for (laughs) four months, four months
1: straight. That's a lot of the year. Have you found uh, a roommate yet? No. Uh. Okay, so a little, little advertising here on the podcast. If you want to go on a Mediterranean cruise with Johnny and his family in September, Johnny's looking for a cabin mate for a romantic uh, 10-day trip, 11-day uh, there's trip. There's 12 days. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so just hit him up. Get in touch. <laughs> yep. Not
0: awkward at all. <laughs> Not at By all. the way, my sister, aunts, uh, niece, nephew, they're all going to be there. <laughs> Who knows, man? Who knows? Yeah, I so the, here's the dilemma is I cannot stay in the same room with my parents for 12 days, no. it's, especially this tiny room. It's a really bad idea. It's really small, right? Yeah. And the problem with with um, with cruises is they base everything on double occupancy, so you have to have two people per room, and it's exactly double the price because they don't give you like a break,
1: you know, just because you know. Yeah, you pay by the room, not by the person. Yeah,
0: even though most of them, the the room costs are things like. Entertainment and food and you know stuff like that. Yeah. So it's just not like financially s- logical to to have my own room. So I can either find someone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, or I might even I don't know I think they have like this um, roommate match program. But then it's kind of like gambling and saying like, yeah, I, it's yeah. like a
1: blind date. You're going to be stuck with somebody in close quarters for 12 days,
0: <laughs> man. So I have to, to kind of figure out uh, what I want to do. But, you know, I was almost not going to go on this because I didn't have like a big desire to to be on a cruise for that long. Because it's, it's a long yeah. cruise. I think 12 days, like to me, a cruise is like three, four five days. This mm. is really long.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: And I was going to tell my parents, I said, hey, I'll, let me just meet you in Europe uh, at one of the ports, and spend the day with you. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe at the beginning of the end. Uh, but I talked to my mom. I think she convinced me. Like, you know, it'd be nice to spend some time. Uh, mm-hmm. And then this way, instead of me flying back to the US this year, you know, I'll get my family time in.
1: That's actually the exact same thing we're doing. My family's coming out uh, to spend some time in France with us, and that way, we are not going to go back to the US until probably Christmas and we'll just go spend Christmas with them but we're not going back to the US at all throughout the whole year and it makes sense right like why yeah, like, definitely. yeah
0: especially because we get the foreign tax credit mm-hmm. for not being back yeah and then we can use that money to take
1: our parents out yeah exactly that's that's exactly like my reasoning on it is I get this money that I would not have if I did go back to the US and I have more than enough in that tax credit to get my parents out for a trip and it's it's really fun to spend time with them outside of like the home context you actually get some quality time because everybody's experiencing something new together it's the best way to see family
0: yeah it's such a good travel hack because because we get a tax break on the first hundred and ten thousand, I think.
1: Yeah, um, per person. Per, yeah, so like I think it's a. Oh, so you guys get it on the first two hundred twenty thousand. Yeah, yeah. so the first wow. two hundred twenty thousand is excluded from foreign income tax. That's or, so Sorry, amazing. federal income tax. That's incredible. Yeah, it's great.
0: And you know, so for most people, if you're single, that's up to ten thousand dollars in tax savings just for not being back in the U.S. Yeah. So why wouldn't you take? You know, you take that money. You could fly your parents to anywhere in the world, including Europe. You can put them up on a, on a 10, you know, 12 day cruise. Yeah. Yeah. And have like the best family vacation of your life. And it's basically free.
1: Yeah. It's awesome. It's yeah. awesome. I'm uh, really I- excited for it. I haven't seen my parents in almost six months. And so to see them next week is going to be amazing.
0: Yeah. Good. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're, they're
1: proud of you, right? I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they are. My parents are incredibly, uh, supportive too of Steph and I, like living this adventure and and growing in business and getting married young and all that. Yeah. They're absolute rock stars.
0: Have they always been that supportive?
1: Absolutely, they have been. I mean, we had some long talks when I was thinking about dropping out of high school, but they were never angry or malicious about it. Um, I don't know. I guess parents just know best. They sort of have a sense, I think, about their kids, and I think my parents knew that it wasn't the path for me, uh, but they wanted me to like actually process through it and and talk through it and so we did have some long and sometimes tense talks about like me dropping out of school and wanting to get married young and moving to austin all that but they were incredibly supportive and really just helped me process not i can't even down.
0: imagine those talks like when i was 17 if i told my dad i was not gonna go to high school and i was gonna move he would have he would have just told me to get on my knees so he can smack <laughs> me
1: right i i don't know. They're, Really really special. I mean, and I'm not saying that just because they're my parents But they really like treated me like an adult maybe even before they should have but they just helped me learn so much about how to make decisions and how to How to take risks and and when to be okay with it and when not and so even to this day They're still just really supportive of Steph and I what were some of the, the Mental calculations that you had before you you decided to drop out of high school? Honestly, it was mostly an emotional decision because I just didn't want to be there. Um, I initially thought I would just go to college. You don't technically need a high school diploma to go to college. Um, You can test into college and I figured, you know, I'm a good learner and I teach myself Mm -hmm. a lot. I don't really need to be here. Uh, So dropping out of high school was pretty much just, I don't want to be here. I can go to college. Then choosing not to go to college was the bigger decision because that was me basically foregoing education. A lot of it came down to money, though. I I was confident. I'd already been in business for myself doing random things and starting small entrepreneurial ventures, and I hadn't made a ton, but I I had figured out that I could make money if I needed, and I just didn't see the point in paying to go to school and then starting a business and spending the first like five to ten years in that business paying off my school debt. And I figured, why don't I just go to the school of hard knocks, if you will, and, and start a business right out of high school. And so I've never had debt of any kind. I mean, I've never even had a car payment. So like no student loans too. And so I've started like business from a place of complete financial freedom. And that's really a byproduct of deciding not to go to school for me.
0: And that's so smart. And obviously it worked out and very like logical decisions, but how did you even like learn this stuff? I mean, did, like, were, were there any books or anything that you, you read when you're in high school?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I read a lot when I was in high school, and a lot of books I read were maybe not specific to a certain, like, skill set, but I read a lot of books that, that I think are recommended by business owners and entrepreneurs, like, you know, 4 work we was one of them when it came out, and I read books like The Richest Man in Babylon and, um, you know, Think and Grow Rich and How to Win Friends and Influence People, and I sort of... Developed this not necessarily a skill set, but a mindset of success and and taking control of my life and sort of owning what I did and and Not letting anybody make those decisions for me And honestly that mindset has made the biggest difference for me
0: But how did you get the mindset to even pick up those books in the first place?
1: Uh, I would say being around my dad uh, my dad has always been in business for himself, either as a musician or as an educator, um, doing a variety of entrepreneurial things. And so, just seeing him uh, build businesses and and even have things fail and have to pivot, he worked from home a lot, so I got to experience it firsthand. That really inspired me um, to go out and learn some of that myself. And so, he had some of those books sitting around, and I would just pick them up and read. Uh, read in my spare time. And I've, I've always loved reading. That's something that my parents, I think, instilled in me that it's really good to read. And so I was always on the hunt for something new to read. And if I didn't have money to go out and buy my own book, I would read one of my dad's books. And that's sort of how I got into reading about business and mindset and success.
0: I like it. I think that's great points. And unfortunately, not all of us have parents who instill that mindset in us, but luckily we have free information now. We have these podcasts, you know, we have interviews and we have access to you know millions of books yeah you know, online libraries kindle you know wherever you want to get it
1: yeah absolutely life is totally what you make it i think is what i realized like even when i was young and i didn't have money even before i had like a driver's license and was living in my parents house like the complete opposite of what a lot of people would define as like freedom i didn't have freedom to just get on a plane and go to another country but i i started realizing and i think it was a really important revelation that i had the freedom to have a high quality of life wherever I am and whatever I was doing and sort of learning how to be in touch with that. uh, Not trying to sound too hippie or spiritual about it, but just like learning how to experience freedom, no matter what I was doing, how much money I was making is what really led to me, I think being successful in business and as an entrepreneur and a communicator. I like it. Yeah.
0: By the way, I think we just hit a record. This is the first time ever in the history of podcasts Anywhere in the world that a vegan has been on the show for over 55
1: minutes (laughs) and has not mentioned (laughs) it. Yeah. I should have maybe come out of the gates with that. All my success is due to my veganism. No. (laughs) Where are we going with that? Was that just like an interjection? (laughs) Yeah. I just wanted
0: to throw that out there that I, I, so, uh, Nick is
1: in a group that I I founded (laughs) called, what was the name again? Um, vegans who aren't assholes and don't suck <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have a Facebook group it's currently me and Steph and Johnny is the admin <laughs>
0: <laughs> so actually, the reason why we started it was uh, we were hanging out uh, I was hanging with, with Nick and uh, Steph and Sean Lee and I was like you know what there should be more like vegans like you guys you guys are like the only vegans I've ever met that are like super cool uh, that aren't preachy about it you know mm-hmm. they don't treat it like we relig- did religious or like a cult yeah and i was like yeah you know you guys should all just get together like it must be hard for you guys to meet like non-douchey vegans
1: yeah well especially because man this could turn into a hate fest if the right people hear this but there's sort of this online vegan culture that's exploded in the last few years i think and it's gotten kind of culty in my opinion and i actually went vegan without um without knowing that there was like vegan YouTubers and vegan bloggers. I went vegan like following like athletes that I admired and stuff. And so I've recently started to learn about this whole community of vegans that, you know, maybe do suck. (laughs) And it's sort of crazy to me, like how militant and angry and religious and preachy some of them are like, I don't know. But thanks for uh, accepting me into the Vegans Who Aren't Assholes and Don't Suck group. Yeah. I'm privileged to be a pioneering member. (laughs) (laughs) And one of the only members. (laughs) And one of
0: of two. (laughs) Unfortunately, Sean Lee no longer has a Facebook, so he... We couldn't add him in,
1: <laughs> so that's where it kind of died. Very small group, yeah. <laughs> if you're interested in joining, um, you can contact Johnny to apply. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to show me your YouTube video without being being a douche. Yeah, or maybe have a YouTube video where you're not just talking about being a vegan. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Good. Good. Good to wrap up this interview. <laughs> uh, that was a very random tangent. Yeah. Good.
0: I mean, but it kind of just shows that you're you're just such a normal down earth guy who's who happens to be successful like you really want to you know you really want people to to help people you know you want you know you want these good things it's it's a it's a quality admire man Thanks, and man. That, that's I why appreciate I, that. yeah and i appreciate your friendship man
1: yeah totally that was a that was a fist bump <laughs> which you guys just missed so it was I like pretty it. great though
0: all right but for people at home listening can you kind of leave them with some some, some actionable tips like how would like what are some things that you would recommend for them to to get to kind of where we are and, and as happiness. far
1: as like being a digital nomad or, or just like yeah, success in life.
0: I would say that like, I think most people listen to this, they want to be location dependent. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's great that you've shown that you can do it even as an executive with a, you know, a music a marketing company, but just in general,
1: yeah. um, I would say start asking yourself what about the location independent lifestyle appeals to you? Cause for some people it is about the travel and they do want to travel and for some people it's actually not about the travel it's that they want to live in a cool place and have the freedom to work on their own projects and I think defining that at the start or at least starting to figure it out is really important because there's a lot of people who ultimately they just want to live in a cool place with cool people like Chiang Mai and work on their own projects and and have a high quality of life there but they feel like oh I'm going to be a digital nomad I have to travel and I have to like bounce around and they like go through an exhausting like six months of travel and spend way too much money, you know, only to end up somewhere like Chiang Mai or Budapest or Berlin and realize that that's what they want all along and I think you can save yourself a lot of mental hassle and emotional baggage if you just figure out more or less what you want Um, and then... (laughs) I would say it's good to have a little bit of money in the bank, so like cut out some coffee, like cancel your Netflix subscription, put a thousand dollars in the bank. It, just the mental freedom of not having to worry like that you're spending every single penny you earn uh, while you're on the road is really good. And then I would say really filter the content that you consume. like instead of watching some random sitcom on Netflix or on TV, like listen to good podcasts or like read some good books. Um, For me, mindset, like I said, was so important to success. Um, And so some of the books that I really recommend are Think and Grow Rich. Um, Richest Man in Babylon is a great financial book. Four-Hour Work Week" is like the digital nomad Bible. Um, Yeah, read really good, high quality and positive content that sort of pumps you up and gets you excited to take control of your life. Uh, that'll make a huge difference.
0: I like it. And if you want to follow you, where can they find you? Uh,
1: my handle on pretty much everything is just my name, Nick Danforth. So you can find me on YouTube, youtube.com slash Nick Danforth. That is where I'm posting the most content. Those are the almost daily vlogs of our life right now in Chiang Mai, but soon to be in Europe. So go check that out and subscribe. You can also find me on Instagram, instagram.com slash Nick Danforth, twitter.com slash Nick Danforth. And you can also, I think, find me on Facebook. At facebook.com slash nick danforth. Uh, so, coming
0: soon, vegans that don't suck.com slash nick danforth. Oh, <laughs>
1: you heard it here first. <laughs> but yeah, don't be a stranger. Uh, say hi if you're going to be around Europe in the summer or in Budapest and you have recommendations or you just want to hang out. Uh, hit me up. I'm totally up for anything. Very
0: cool. And, Almost everyone, uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> Keep uh, in touch on johnnyfd.com. I have really big things coming this month, especially on my income report for next month. I'm going to. I'm not going to give away too much yet, but I think I'm going to have my biggest month ever. Oh, so nice. excited about that. Yeah, You'll buy me dinner. We will, man. We'll get you some salad. Oh, <laughs> vegan's favorite. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Thanks, everyone, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. All right, so just before we close out, I wanted to give a big, big thank you to everyone who has taken the time to leave uh, reviews on the iTunes stores uh, for the Child Like a Boss podcast. It helps so much to spread the word. Uh, and get us ranked higher so other people can find the podcast. Uh, so, big shout to Car Audio Chris, uh, who's been really enjoying the episodes, and he started from the beginning and is on episode 16. So, hopefully, uh, now he's much higher in the, the episode count. Uh, Coupon Queen uh, is really happy that we provide all the information you need about being a digital nomad and optimizing at life. She loves the podcast. Hamid, uh, he's really happy about the passion and the lifestyle, of helping others. He recommends to download some episodes and listen them at work or whenever and be prepared to drop your daily 9-to-5 routine and live the life you truly want. So Bala Bui uh, really likes the Madrid of information that person who is traveling entrepreneur and wants to do so, and she likes the natural and relaxed interactions. And finally, for April, we have Cynthia Rose who's happy that we generally share our wisdom and the, the guests are well curated. She's hooked to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. So thank you guys all again. And I look forward to uh, having all of you back on next week uh, to, for a listen. Uh, if you haven't subscribed, please do so. And if you can, please take two minutes, go to the iTunes store, Travel Like a Boss, search for that, click on ratings and reviews, and then click write a review. That helps more than you know.